Well, we, we do traditional mostly just because that's what most people are, are, are familiar with. So that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're more apt to say yes. But my primary focus would be um, uh, creative stuff. Just because in this market, you have to be creative to be able to bridge a gap between what the seller is really able to demand in this market and what makes sense to you as a buyer. You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. All right, today's guest is Jonathan New with Fairwind Capital Investments out of, is it Virginia Beach, Florida? I mean, Virginia Beach, Virginia. <laughs> We're going to start that one over. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's Virginia Beach, right? Not Newport News or anything like no, that? No, it's technically Norfolk, but okay. I mean, it's the same area. People will recognize it. I don't give a shit. Virginia Beach, Florida. I'll say that one. Virginia Beach, Florida. Say it again, and that'll be the best thing. <laughs> All right. Today's guest is Jonathan News with Fairwinds Capital Investment out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Jonathan, how you doing, brother? And I'm great. How are you doing, Ramsey? I'm doing well, man. So you started out uh, doing single family. You had 42 single family uh, units that you did as joint ventures. And roughly around the same time, you kind of started doing syndications as well with small, smaller multifamily and most recently so, some much larger multifamily uh, leading into now you've started your fund, correct? That's absolutely correct. All right. So I got some questions about that because the most people, uh, I would say, get started around in single family, then eventually stumble upon say a duplex or a triplex and then grow their way into uh, syndications and funds. But you were doing all of that kind of at the same time. So how did you, how did you get started doing that? And what made you decide to jump right into syndications? Uh, that's a great, well, okay. So first of all, the single family stuff is the low hanging fruit. Everybody knows it. It's an easy concept to understand. And, um, so I did that and was pretty successful at doing that. I was doing like three or four a month at one point. And, um, but early into that, I got into syndication, like just to be my toes into it for the first little bit doing small stuff. And I looked at doing a syndication on a bigger thing. Um, but ultimately we weren't experienced enough to take down the big stuff when I was like six, eight months into doing this for, from a full-time perspective. Um, so we kept doing the syndications of small stuff for a while. And, um, and then we started, I started looking at the return on investment first, like how much energy am I putting into every single one of these single family houses versus doing the energy for a syndication. And it's not even close to, to comparable. You put just a little bit more um, stress and fatigue on yourself for doing one of these larger syndications as you do the, like one house. So I quickly gave up on the, the single family residential space and started focusing on the uh, syndication. So what were you doing with this? Were you doing flips, buying holds? Like what, what was your strategy? A little, bit of, little bit of both. We were doing for the single family stuff, we were doing um, flips and we were doing burr strategies, sub two agreements, 
uh, creative financing, just whatever kind of like that's that's kind of been my key throughout my entire real estate career. Is if the door opens and I understand what's going through that door, I just go through the door. Yeah. Uh, uh, opportunities just come open as as you look for doors. Uh, but we were doing a, a lot of mixed things with the residential space. Okay, and so you, but you got to forty-two single-family homes. And that's how many deals that I did. That's okay. That's how many deals you did. What was your first smaller multifamily deal? Uh, six unit uh, here in Norfolk. Um, it was in a kind of a not the worst area of the of the uh, of Hampton Roads, but by no stretch of the imagination the best. Um, it required a little bit of work. We put in like a new roof. We renovated one of the units, and then we. Um, kept making small improvements here, raising the rents just a little bit here and there. And then we ultimately uh, sold, we didn't sell it, but we have it under a lease option at this time. So that's kind of our, that's our exit strategy on that six unit. So let's talk about that. So what, what is a lease option? How's it work? And how did you end up presenting that to the seller as did they present it to you or did you say, Hey, this is an option and they, and they took it. It's a powerful option as a buyer and a seller. So we, for, so the lease option is basically, that's all it is, is you're, they're leasing it from us with the option to buy it at a later date. Um, so the way we structure that is that we set the price point a little bit higher than market because there's no appraisal. There's nothing that goes along with that. Um, so they don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Um, but it is a five-year uh, lease option. There's going to be appreciation during that time, at least historically saying there's going to be depreciation. And so we set the we set the price point just a little bit higher than what the market value would be if it was an appraisal. And then we say 10% down. Um, so they give us 10% as their skin in the game. And then we make sure that the payments are just a little bit higher than our mortgage payments. That way we've still got cash flow. We've still got money um, up front. And because the buyer's cash down up front is smaller than what it would be on a normal loan, then it's easier them to meet their cash on cash numbers. So you're saying this as if you were the seller. Yeah. The the master lease option would be you present it to them. Yep. I'm going to charge you a little bit more than what it's worth right now, but in five years, it's going to be a lot less expensive than what it's worth in five years. So yes. you have the option to buy it. And if you don't, the only penalty is that 10% down payment. So you could, you could potentially recollect that property if the market tanked and that person decided that their exit strategy was not worth, was the loss was worth the down payment versus having to pay for it. Correct. Technically that is correct, but we do work with our buyers because we don't want, we don't want to take that back. We'd rather just keep collecting cash and we want that buyer to be successful in their own endeavors. So if the market does crash, they would absolutely work with that person to say, all right, we'll take a, I don't know, a 1% extension fee for another two years. And it same happens in the residential space too. Um, but it's more than likely, like think it's close to 80% of all lease options don't actually execute that option. Hmm. So that's specifically in the residential space. So most likely you'll have to be recycling that over and over. But then again, you get that 10% down. And, and higher mortgage payments. 
and higher mortgage payments and a higher uh, purchase price. So, and you, uh, you, I'm guessing you're charging uh, a little bit higher interest rate as well uh, at, as part of the mortgage. So, how did you how did you uh, acquire that? six unit did you guys have to pay it all cash to give you the right to do a lease option or no, did you do a wraparound um, mortgage we straight up did a uh, we bought it with a regular mortgage and a lease option you're just renting it out you're, there's no transaction that goes into it okay so it's not going to trigger um frank dodd Doug frank okay so it's not a uh there is no transfer of deed or anything like that in a, in a master lease option that is correct Okay. Have you ever purchased a uh, piece of real estate under the master lease like as the buyer? Absolutely. Absolutely. We did a 23 unit portfolio here in Norfolk. Uh, We did a master lease option. There's absolutely no different than um, the seller I just described. Um, It was just a higher purchase price. And why, if, uh, why do you, why would you prefer doing a master lease option versus just buying it out? So there's a lot of, uh, so the less money down for one, there's less risk uh, as far as like getting to close because you don't have to get a lender to approve it. So there's one big step in, um, in removing risk from a transaction. And, um, and also uh, the only thing you have to do is just raise the money. Okay. Okay. It's just a 10% down payment. Doesn't seem like it's too bad. No, <laughs> right. no it's not the worst. So how is that 23 unit uh, working out for you? Has it, has the, the purchase price, has it already appreciated above what you guys uh, agreed to pay for it? hundred percent. That was a year ago. And since a year ago, the market here specific uh, across the country, but here yeah. um, it's definitely exploded. Our rents have gone up an average of uh, what's it, $98 a month. Um, we've made capital improvements to roofs and windows and renovated five of the units. And, uh, it's, it's trying along just as we expected, actually a little bit more. Yeah. So if, if you guys don't, uh, execute your option to buy, that's, that's a benefit for the seller right there, right? He's pretty much got new roof and everything, uh, completely yeah. renovated. So he knows you guys are locked in on it. It's, I can see how it'd be a win-win for the buyer and the seller. Yeah. And we've already started exploring the uh, the exit. We're trying to do a refinance, and how that would work basically would be like a uh, like an assignment fee in mechanics. That's how it, how it would work. So I'm guessing with the master lease option, is there an early payment penalty for uh, buying it sooner than uh, the five years? It it depends. Uh, there's not an R agreement. But you can set that thing up however you want. Okay. And for you being a buyer or a seller, what, what like, is it a percentage base? Like if it was a $100,000 property, what would you recommend saying, all right, we're going to do a master lease option. Let's, we'll sell it for 110, 115, whatever. Like, what would you say would be a reasonable amount to go above market for the master lease option? So I would say that if you're, Local appreciation, historic appreciation has been 3%. Then uh, over five years should be worth about 115. So I would just do like 110, 115, somewhere in that neighborhood. Just okay. make sure you capture um, that. Um, if you were to hold it and it was going to be worth 115 one day, just make sure you capture that. Okay. 
That makes sense. All right. And so you did uh, the six unit multifamily, 23 unit multifamily, uh, and you've also done some syndications, correct? With your Fairwinds Capital team. Was the, was the 23 unit with Fairwinds Capital? That one was with the same group under a different moniker. Okay. And now you guys have formed Fairwinds Capital and you guys are doing pretty, pretty big things in the market right now. So why don't you tell us where you guys are at today? So today uh, we have a 654 unit um, portfolio under LOI and uh, making in Warner Robins, Georgia. Um, we could get three of the five properties under contract on Monday, uh, but we're waiting to hear back from one of our JV partners and see what they want to do. Okay. Uh, we uh, are forming our fund, Fairwinds Equity Fund One, which is a um, a blind pool fund that is going to be open for eight years. Um, the, the thesis behind that is that we are going to raise the capital up to $35 million. Um, we are going to buy this property, uh, my entire portfolio, and then uh, holdings in uh, the other properties that we have syndicated uh, so far under Fairwinds. And then what we're going to do is buy more properties on that based on uh, the constraints that we set um, for our investors, which is we're going to be buying large multifamily that are value add in CMB class properties, uh, 75 units or more in the best performing economies across the southeastern United States. Uh, we have brought in uh, experienced partners uh, from key principals uh, to help us with the first acquisitions and operations. And then we are going to refinance or exit as we go um, for the first six years, buy new properties so that our cash on cash for our investors continues to escalate uh, as we cycle through these properties. And then at the end of six years, we're going to return all the capital to the investors. And then they are going to enjoy two more years of residual income uh, up until year eight. And then the fund will stop. Okay. There's a lot to uh, peel back there. So let, let's, let's, let's break this down in crayon writing. All right. So so I'm an investor. I've got $10,000 normal syndications. Can I get into them? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's all up to the syndicator, um, what they want to set their minimum at, at like, uh, you know, 506 B, which is, uh, which is one of the vehicles that you can set forth to operate your syndication. You can only bring in friends and family. Uh, you can't advertise to the world in a 506B. Um, normally syndicators will put their bare minimum investment to, um, it depends. It really depends, but it depends on how much of the raise is. In a 506B, you can only bring in 34 unaccredited investors. And so the syndicator is going to set that number to limit the number of investors that they have in on that syndication. It just makes management of the system easier for them. Um, usually, I've seen the minimum anywhere between twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. Again, it depends on the actual raise and the deal itself. Um, but with ten thousand uh, dollars, you're most likely going to be able to get into some sort of a, a small raise uh, that's a 506B. You could also get into a fund like I'm doing uh, through like a Reg CF, um, which is regulation crowdfunding. 
And with that kind of an offering, uh, I can have as many unaccredited investors as I possibly can. Uh, we actually set our minimum at $500 just because it's open to everybody. I'm military. I'm an active duty Navy commander. Most everybody in my network, uh, natural like in the in the military are going to be unaccredited themselves. And we wanted this diversified fund to be open to everybody. So that's why we set the minimum so low. Um, so to answer your question, long story short, you can absolutely. It just has to be the right syndication. I can't believe I forgot in the intro that like we didn't even talk about the military aspect. You're doing this while still active duty, uh, j- just like I am. And I, I could tell you it's uh, it's something that that we take for granted to to be able to do because we have full time jobs. But I think, you know, real estate is the perfect what I call it, the perfect side hustle for being in the mil- for being in the military. So, uh, yeah, by the way, Jonathan is a, a, a commander in the United States Navy. Let me go ahead and put that back in the intro. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so, and, and you explained that perfectly because uh, I got a lot of friends who want to get into investing in real estate, don't know how, don't have the time to do it. Uh, like they don't want to go out and be the operators, the, the doing the fix and flips or buying the, and, and fixing the, uh, you know, doing the renovations and getting a multifamily or whatever going, but they like the idea of putting their, at least storing their capital into real estate. And the best way to do it uh, from a truly passive way, in my opinion, is to find a syndicator and invest in them. The one thing that I have seen is that typically the, the, the barrier to entry is, is pretty high, $50,000, $25,000, like, especially if you're just a, you know, you're a young professional, that's a big chunk. Uh, but yeah. now, and something's changed, the, the, the laws have changed in the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm sure you'll get into that on, okay, now non-accredited investors can invest via a fund that that man- operates and manages real estate. And that's what you've created so that your day-to-day non-accredited investor, which by the way, means you make less than $200,000 a year, $300,000 a year combined for like what, two, two years in a row, or you have a million dollars net worth? Less than a million. Yeah, which is the majority of people, right? So uh, if you're just a regular, a regular Joe out there looking to invest, something like Jonathan's fund is a perfect uh, conduit to get your money into the real estate market. But what, Jonathan, what is it that changed? Like what, when did that change and what laws made it available for us to crowdfund for real estate now? So we've always been able to crowdfund. It just kind of, it depends on the, uh, the vehicle that you choose. Uh, technically, any 506C is, is a fund, can be directed towards one particular property. And that's what syndicators use on a, a routine basis is a fund. Um, it's just dedicated to one property. Um, whereas mine is towards a lot of different properties. So I can diversify that risk uh, amongst several different projects. Um, but recently, the SEC opened up the Reg CF, um, which is part of the model, part of the platform that I use. Uh, they opened it up from 1.07 million all the way up to 5 million. Um, that was in March. Um, so that's why we set our target to $5 million. So, okay. So you can raise up to $5 million from non accredited investors, and it doesn't matter how many of them. Put it in there, and the minimum yep. is five hundred dollars a person. Does not matter how many, and I can market openly to them through a Reg CF. Usually, in a five hundred, well, actually, always in a five hundred six B, you cannot market to the unaccredited investor. Okay, 
But with the fund, now you can do advertising on that and they can find you off the internet, decide that they want to invest however many dollars, minimum of 500 and just invest it. So how do they, how do they learn about what your, you, you called it your thesis earlier. What I'm guessing is that's like your left and right lateral limits on what your fund is allowed to invest in. Because I'm guessing they can't put their money into your fund and all of a sudden, hey, I want to, I'm putting some money into crypto, <laughs> right? Like, thanks guys. Now we're going to crypto because I, because I'm the fund manager. So how does that uh, coin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, make sure that we maintain a very routine um, monthly updates to let everybody know exactly what we're investing in. We're also creating a board of acquisitions to bring in professionals like yourself. If you were able, if you were ever interested in joining a team like that. And the whole purpose of that board is to make sure that what we are purchasing is at or very, very near exactly what we said we were going to be investing in. And when I said very, very near, I mean like, so the town doesn't have 75,000 people and it's got 68,000. Are we okay with that tiny little deviation? Yeah. So we have to be right at where we say we're going to be at. Otherwise, the SEC is going to come in and just smack us. Okay. So if I invest my $10,000 into your fund, when, how can I get it out? Is like, is it liquid or is it locked in for a certain period of time? So, uh, this is our next step that we're doing. Uh, it's funny you talk about crypto is, is that we're uh, in talks with future of trust to actually tokenize our fund so that it would be liquid. There is a, um, a holding period to the SEC a year. Um, so if you invest within the fund, you're required to keep it within the fund for a year. But at that point, you can sell it to another investor if you want. And with if we're to tokenize the fund, then it can just go on the secondary market and be traded. And you can be semi-liquid. We'll say semi-liquid because you still have the whole period and there still needs to be a demand for your position at the end of that whole period. So it's semi-liquid. So someone could choose to tokenize it as a way to get out? Yes. Well, yes, that's correct. Okay. I don't even know what questions to ask because tokenize is a new term for me. <laughs> I'm guessing it means turning your money into crypto, um, at which I, you, would, I, you would have to understand crypto for me, or I would have to understand crypto to even know what to ask. Sure, sure, sure. No, absolutely. So basically we're, uh, we're, Tokenizing the fund into a coin, a fractionalized coin backed by Ethereum. And we're going to be putting this out to the international markets through a Reg S. This is another vehicle like you got the 506 um, uh, Reg D, 506B, 506C. Then you've got Reg S, which allows you to go out to international investors and bring them in. And we're working on our marketing packages for specifically those markets through interpreters, uh, uh, translating our, our packages and the whole marketing scheme for those countries as well. Um, you have a question? I was going to say that, that that leads me into the next thing, your, your team, because it's apparent that you're the finances guy. Like you're you're I, I know you have a. a a lot of experience with all kinds of different stuff, but everything seems to be based on your ability to find creative financing. Is that, am I correct in saying that? Well, we, we do traditional mostly just because that's what most people are, are, are familiar with. So that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're more apt to say. Yes. But my primary focus would be, um, uh, creative stuff. 
just because in this market, you have to be creative to be able to bridge a gap between what the seller is really able to demand in this market and what makes sense to you as a buyer. Yeah. So let's talk about your team a little bit. Uh, it's you, Vadim and Corey, correct? That's right. And we also have uh, Jim Biggs at GOB. He's a uh, part of our uh, team for at least the first three deals. Uh, Julie Peterson, who's an old capital, again, for the first three deals. Okay. And uh, our preferred property manager, Kimra Holcomb at uh, Vicinia Living. Okay. And how did you, how did you organize the guys at Fairwinds? Like did, how did you guys come together? What experiences did you guys, uh, you know, bring together so that the team works? Yeah. So we've known each other for a few years at this point. Um, we um, started doing syndications together uh, a year and a half ago. Um, we've done 56 units together. And then we did um, a couple of small stuff uh, in addition to that. And uh, we've been working on this 654 unit portfolio for quite a while. Um, that's just us together. Obviously, I've done bigger stuff by myself. Corey's done big stuff by himself. And Vadim brings uh, the systems and processes and procedures into the frame. He's really good at that stuff, investor relations. Yeah. Um, and so right now I'm the director. I kind of oversee most everything that's going on, um, fund, uh, startup. Uh, I'm the lead on the 654. Uh, Corey is doing the Naval Academy project. Uh, he's also doing uh, a lot of the systems with the Dean and he's doing the ocean view stuff. And uh, eventually uh, once we get this, this large first project done and uh, the fund uh, raised, then I'm going to transition into more, much more over oversight where Corey is going to do just commercial residential and then uh, the dean's going to be deputy director. We're bringing in a director of asset management, um, marketing, and uh, acquisitions in the near future as well. And how do you find these people? Like, what's, do, you, do you recruit them or are you just networking? Brother, it's all networking. Networking is the only thing that matters in this game. In this business, it's all about meeting the Ramses of this world. <laughs> so the other day I was on a, a different podcast myself as a guest and the, they asked me, well, you know, what comes first, uh, the money or the deal? And I, I, honestly, I've been asked it so many times, like, you know, it's, it's the chicken or the egg thing. And finally, I just said, you know what comes first? Relationships. That's what's come first. It's not money. It's not deals. It's relationships. And eventually those relationships are going to bring you deals and it's going to bring you money as well. So uh, I, I think that that is about as, as, as clear as it gets, because if you go start raising money for deals you don't have, people are going to be like, well, what are we buying? And if you go try to buy deals with money you don't have, people are going to be like, you can't afford this. And we kind of tried both until finally I said, let's just invest in relationships. And um, immediately started getting deal flow, immediately started raising capital. And it was just uh, because the focus was no longer on the task. The fo the task was let's build relationships with people. Let's build trust. So yeah, I, I think, I think you hit it on the head, man. Everything is your net worth is your, your network is your net worth in this game. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I wholeheartedly believe that and see it proven every single day. What's the big picture for you? Uh, you get out of the Navy. Like what, what is, what is Jonathan going to be doing in, in 10 years? 
in 10 years, I'm going to be finishing up uh, my exit strategy for this whole thing. That's not true. I, I love this stuff. This gives me so jazz on a, on a daily basis. Not quite as much. It's like my kids and real estate. Yeah. <laughs> and then everything else. Um, but uh, I'll still be, I'll be managing funds at that point. I'll okay. be managing funds and uh, just big business kind of stuff. Okay. Well, are you ready for the, uh, the question that I ask every, everybody who comes on the grill estate podcast? Bring it. All right. The question is what bruises your bananas in the real estate market? What I mean by that is what's the biggest lie being told in real estate today and why? So I think that people latch on to the loudest, most um, confident person in the room. And right now it's the gurus with these training programs. There is value to be had in the training programs, um, but you need them. That's the biggest lie in real estate. You don't need to spend, you don't need to give these cats uh, $25,000 um, to be able to teach you about real estate. You can get all that stuff for free. The only thing that you really get out of those programs is um, uh, relationships. You get to meet some people. You get to meet all those people that have spent crazy money. Most of the people that spend the money to do those um, programs never do anything. Um, but you do get to meet a lot of great people. You don't need that. I've met the same people just by going out and networking my rear off. Yeah. Uh, so you don't need to spend $25,000 to, to meet people, just meet people. But Jonathan, isn't it true that if, uh, from this event, you knock out your first deal, you've paid for the event itself. <laughs> so true. <laughs> if you land that first deal, there's no guarantee of that. <laughs> there was a, uh, he's probably gonna beat me up for this. There's a guy on a Facebook group because we do a, a ADPI meetup in San Diego and we have it at a place called ADU Geeks, which uh, the, the the guy who owns ADU Geeks, he's a retired uh, Marine Corps major. And so he had a assume it's COVID environment. It's hard to find a good place that you can kind of control the rules. Uh, like every, everywhere that we were going to go was going to make us limit the, the seating was going to make us separate. Like that's not a good networking event. So we, this guy was the only other places you come in here, you know, we'll, we'll just have however many people in here and we'll do the meeting in here. Well, I get a message on Facebook and it was like, Hey, I was going to come to this, but it really seemed sales pitchy being at somebody's business. And the business is a real estate. I ADU is an a accessory dwelling unit. And out in San Diego, they're huge because there's a housing shortage in San Diego. So San Diego has really streamlined the process of putting it like a, an in-law suite on your land, but you have to rent it out on a long-term basis or 30, 30 days or more, whatever it is. Either way, he started a company putting ADUs in the back backs of people's houses. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, it seemed really sales pitchy. And then I saw that you guys brought in an insurance expert and I didn't want to, I didn't want someone pushing ADUs or pushing insurance on me. And, uh, after being blasted, like five or six people like, no dude, it's just a place to, to meet. And then we want to learn about insurance. So we brought it. Finally, I get on there and see it. And I go, Hey man, I forgot to tell you, I've got this great a trillion dollar program that I'll, if you, if you act now, I'll give it to you for $25,000. But if you make, there's more, if you make it to our next meetup, I'll give it to you for free over a beer and you get a free ADU and two years of free insurance. 
<laughs> and then in, in small text, I said, uh, program ADU and insurance not included. Beer is, beer is. <laughs> and he was like, all right, man, I'm sold. Am <laughs> I trying to sell you on that? In fact, man, I, and I'm sure you feel the same way. The moment somebody tries to sell me something, the moment, like I, you can feel it, you can see it coming. Like, oh, this is worth $20,000 because of this. And this is the moment I start to just, fall asleep at the wheel. I can't, I can't take it. It kills yeah. me. I'm never sold. I'm always thinking like, what is, this is bull crap. Like what you're trying to screw me on something. I know it, it's coming <laughs> every time. Yes, absolutely. So bad thing about having the word capital in your business name is that every time you log on to LinkedIn, it's like, Hey, I got this great idea for a movie. Crypto, 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 yeah. crypto. <laughs> hate it. Hate it. Yeah, well, I've I've been to a couple of um, when I was first getting started out, been a couple to a couple of those like they call it two or three day free training things, and it ends up being one day of talking about all the training you're going to get, and then two days of them talking about how you get the training if you do the mastermind. <laughs> so, yeah. By the way, I can't stand the word mastermind anyway, or tribe or any of that stuff. Like it just makes me want to throw up. But, um, I think the, the most beneficial looking, uh, ones would be the conferences or like, uh, a place yeah. where it's, it's just, you're going there to network and they have experts speaking at a panel. So I'm looking for good ones to go to there, not a training event, but a conference or a, a summit, whatever they call it. Um, those I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. Cause I, you really meet it meet people there. Absolutely. Have yes. You been to some of them. I haven't. Um, I wanted to go last year, but you know, COVID, uh, but this year I'm going to be going my best ever conference, real estate guys, everything I can get my hands on. Yeah. The syndic was it syndications at sea by the real estate guys. Isn't that, yes. that one sounds, sounds pretty awesome. It does. It truly does. And they That's usually bring in like heavy hitters to, yeah. to the, Robert Kiyosaki, I think, goes every yes. year too. But mm -hmm. I think Jake and Gino are doing one in, is it Miami or is it Tampa? I think it's Miami. I don't know. They're doing one coming up and a couple of guys that I know are going to. I won't. I don't think I'll be uh, able to go because I'll still be out here in Guam. But yeah, man, I want to get on some of those conferences, especially a summit. That sounds pretty dope. Like, Let's go to Belize. <laughs> okay. I can go to Belize and talk about real estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, man. Well, um, I think, I think this is the point where we wrap up the show here. It's been pretty awesome hearing about all of your, uh, you know, how you kind of grew from single family into multifamily, like basically on parallel planes. Uh, and you do big things, man. You, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Like you, you just think a little bit bigger than everybody else. Uh, you're already talking about doing funds and bringing people to invest from overseas where I'm over here trying to look through my, my contact list and see, you know, Bubba from high school, if, he, if he's got 10 bucks to give me. So I, I like the way that you think, and that's pretty awesome, but man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, uh, come back anytime, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Ramsey. Before we get off, how can people get a hold to you? How can they find out how to invest in your fund? Uh, what's the best way? Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my personal information is on LinkedIn. Uh, www.fwcinvestments.com is our website. 
Uh, there you can get onto our portal and see everything we got going on. Uh, we'll be able to communicate with you, and uh, we're not going to sell it, uh, sell you hard, hard pressed themselves. So uh, come on over. Let's, uh, let's let's have a talk about real estate. Okay, awesome, Jonathan. Appreciate having you on the show, brother. You too, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash gorillastatepod.